Now, I told you Hebrews 11, but we're actually going to start at the end of chapter 10 with verse 35. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has a great reward. Notice, the enemy, when he's working with you, first of all, you understand this. I don't talk a lot about the devil, but Jesus talked about him. He's real. If you don't believe he's real, then you're in trouble because he is a real enemy. He is a real adversary, and he's not just walking around with a pitchfork and a red union suit with a tail and horn on his head. That would be easy to discern. But the Bible says that he can disguise himself as an angel of light, that he can perform miracles. And he has power, and he has authority, but he doesn't have authority over you. And he doesn't have power over you if you're in the kingdom of God. The Bible tells us that he's transferred us from the dominion or the domain of darkness, Colossians 1.13. He's taken you out of the domain of darkness, the, grain of the, rule, the, the rule of authority, and transferred you into the kingdom of his beloved son. Understand this, that if Satan still had authority over you, he would have stopped you from getting saved. If there's anything he ever wanted to stop in your life, was for you coming to the Lord. If he couldn't stop that when you weren't a Christian, how much more can he not stop God in you now that you are? But what he is good at, he's a deceiver. What he's very good at in is, now listen to this, he's good at talking you into using the authority God gave you against yourself. He's very good at that because we cooperate with him. And I said that because this scripture says don't cast away your confidence because it has a great reward that's attached to it. You have to cast it away. No one can take your confidence that God gives you from you. You have to throw it away. Now, we've gotten good at it, but we don't have to, my point is. The enemy is a liar, and he'll come and tell you, that to trust God is an overwhelming thing to do, so you might as well just quit right now. Have you ever had this experience where, where you've stood in faith, you've trusted God for something, whatever it was, whether it was for you know, a, a material blessing or something financial or whether it's for your health or for a relationship or whatever it was, and, 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 and God came through. And you know, it's almost like we're surprised when God comes through when we've been trusting Him. And he's gracious and understands that, you know. And now the next day you get up, you're ready to celebrate, and you get another bad report either in the same area or somewhere else, and the message comes through, oh, no, now you've got to trust God again. Am I the only one that's ever had that experience? And it feels overwhelming. Well, I just went through this huge battle, and, and now I've got to do it all over again, as if you lost the battle. Think about that. You've just come through a battle where you won. You defeated him with God's word. Now he's going to tell you, well, now you've got to do it all over again, and it's going to be hard all over again. Yeah, but you won. He's the one with the hard job. And I have no pity on him. But notice this. As long as you don't throw your confidence away, there's a reward attached to it. As long as you don't take the confidence that God gives you and throw it away, the reward's attached to the confidence. So so much of the Bible just talks about holding on. So much of the Bible just talks about just overcome. Just don't quit. Why? Because there's a reward attached to being at the end. There's a reward attached to the finish line. Amen. The enemy knows that if you don't quit, you win. 
going to say it again. If you don't quit, you win. And his whole focus is to get you to quit. I talked to you several weeks ago. I don't remember if it was Wednesday morning or, or Wednesday night or Sunday morning. Probably wasn't Wednesday morning. But it was Sunday, Wednesday night or Sunday morning. And I said, well, understand this about the enemy. He's a deceiver. And there's certain things you know ahead of time about a deceiver. A deceiver never, what the deceiver's telling you he's doing is never what he's doing. Because he's a deceiver. Even if he's telling you the truth, he's lying to you about it. So I use the example of a pickpocket. You're in a crowd and you know, and you are aware that there may be signs in the, in the room you're in, you know, be careful, we know that there are pickpockets in the area. So you're on guard. And what, you got, what I've learned to do is, if that's the case, I'm thinking, what's the pickpocket after? He's after my pocket. He's after my wallet in my back pocket back here. So he's going to come at me with various devices that are designed to divert me from what he's really after. So I can't pay attention to what he's doing. Because the whole purpose of what he's doing is to divert my attention from what he wants to do. I'm going to say that again. It's very simple, but it's, but it's, very, it's profound in the sense that we don't often understand this because we react to what happens. We react to the circumstances in our lives. You get a phone call of something in the middle of the night and you get a, an evil report or something happens and you get somebody tells you, somebody this week, somebody tell me bad news and the first thing my mind wants to react and run with it and I just stop myself, get my hold of my own lapel. Sometimes you've got to just get a hold of yourself, literally get a hold of yourself and say, John, don't do that. You don't react to what you hear. What is the scheme And what is the enemy after? So if it's a pickpocket, if you know you're around pickpockets, I don't watch whether they're bumping into me or whether they're saying something to me. I got my hand on what they're after. Because if I've got my guard on what they're after, all the rest of those diversions won't work because the purpose of those diversions is to get me to not pay attention to what they're after by paying attention to something that they make me think they're after. You following me? So when the enemy comes at you, I'll tell you where your spiritual wallet is. It's your confidence before God. That's why he condemns you. One of his devices, for instance, and I would teach this when I taught on renewing the mind. One of his devices is he'll give you an evil thought. And then he'll condemn you for having that thought. That's a scheme. If you don't understand the scheme, you'll fall for it because, yes, I did have that thought, but it didn't come from me. I didn't want it. You understand, you can't always control the thoughts that come to your mind, but what you can do is control what you do with the thought. A Bible teacher that I had long ago says, I can't stop the birds from flying over my head, but I sure can stop them from nesting in my hair. So one of his devices is he'll give you some evil thought that you don't like and then the next thought is condemning you. What kind of Christian are you for having that thought? Why? What's he's after? Your confidence. Because once you start receiving that condemnation, what happens is your confidence before God begins to weaken. And if he can get you to the platter, and this is not what I was planning on talking about tonight, but it's for somebody. If he can get your confidence before God to be weakened, 
then what you begin to do is you begin to pull away from your source of everything. And he wants to isolate you. So you're no longer in, in confident communion with God. You're no longer reading your word. You're beginning to backpedal or with, you know, pull away from God. You start sitting further and further back in church. And next thing you know, you skip a service or so. Well, I can handle that. Next thing you're skipping more service. And now it gets to be difficult to come to church when it was easy before. And slowly but surely, he's isolating you and pulling you out. You see these, these documentaries that they do about lions and the herds of the wildebeest in, in Africa? Those lions, as fierce as they are, they don't rush right into the middle of one of those herds. Why? They'll get trampled in the stampede. So what do they do? They sit around the outside and they wait to see some weak one kind of wander a little bit off. Then what they'll do is they'll try to move in and isolate that weak animal until they can separate the weak animal from the herd. Now that animal is no match for that lion. Well, my Bible tells me that Satan is like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. That means he's got to find an opportunity to devour. He can't just do it automatically. Why? Because we're stronger than he is. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. Speaking of the devil. So the writer of Hebrews' instructions here is don't throw that confidence away because attached to that confidence is the reward that you're looking for. All right. That was, wasn't even part of the message. For you need of endurance so that after you've done the will of... So that after you've, so that after you've done the will of God, you may receive the promise. For yet a little while, he who is coming will come and will not tarry or delay. Now the just, those who have been made just, shall live by faith. We're saved by faith. Ephesians 2 verse 8, we're saved by faith. But then once you're saved, you continue to live and walk by faith. Galatians is all about that also, and so is the book of Hebrews. The just shall live by faith. But if anyone draws back, God says, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, or another translation says destruction. But we're those who believe to the saving of the soul. Now he goes in to discuss why, what this faith is. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, for by it, by faith, the elders, whom he's going to describe here in a few minutes, obtained a good testimony. By faith we understand that the worlds, and that's talking about this realm of existence that we live in, this natural material realm of existence. By faith we understand that this realm of existence that we live in was framed by the word of God. So that the things which are seen, the things that are part of this realm of existence, were not made out of things which are obvious or our senses can detect. And we looked at that last week. We looked at verse 1 and then we looked at verse 3. What verse 3 is telling us is this. We've talked about, to understand what faith is, the first thing you really have to understand is that there are two realms of existence. The realm of existence which we're the most used to is this natural material realm. And we went back and looked at Genesis and saw that's what it means when it says in Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created. 
It's in the beginning of this natural material realm of existence. It's a realm that's detected by your senses. So if you can see it, feel it, touch it, taste it, or hear it, you know that it's of this natural material realm. But it's not the only realm. There's another realm the Bible calls the spirit realm. This natural material realm is temporary. It, li- it, it exists in time. It has a beginning and has an end. And it is in the process of, of aging, of decaying, of falling away. And the Bible says there will come a point where that will, will this realm of existence will end as we know it. But the other realm of existence, the spirit realm, has no time. It is eternal. And it is forever. And it is, it is the real realm. This realm is only temporary. That realm's real. More real. There's a story written by C.S. Lewis called The Great, uh, the Great Divorce. And, and in this story, there's, it's a story of a, it's an allegory. It's a story of a man who went to heaven. And in the outskirts of heaven, he's, there's a bus. And it's, all, it's, a, it's a story, so it's not what heaven's supposed to be like. But it's to get a point across. And, and as he got off this bus, he's in this beautiful field of grass. And he can see the, the heavenly city in the distance. And there are guides there. There are angels. And again, this is just a story, but the, the, the point that, that, that came across in the story made a point to me that I've just never forgotten. And this man got off the bus, and he's walking with this guide, his angel, walking along towards this city. And, and as he's walking along, he looks down and realizes that the blades of grass are sticking through his feet. Well, that's kind of curious. I mean, I've walked on my grass in August in a drought, and I've had the grass break under my feet but it's because it was dry, but I've never had it stick through my feet. And he was curious, and he stopped, and he asked his angel, how is that happening? He said, oh, that's because the grass here is more real than your foot. So, you know, that's that's kind of fantastic. Well, not exactly, because when Jesus came back in his glorified body, he walked through walls that he used to have to walk around. He walked through them. Why? Because his new body was more real than that material wall. So he could walk through it because his new body was more, was more solid and more real than that natural material body. So that realm is more real. But here's the problem. Because that realm is a realm you cannot detect with your senses. And this was a realm that you can detect with your senses... How can we discern things in that realm? Well, first of all, why is that important? Well, one of the reasons it's important is the Bible tells us in John 4, 24, is that God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Well, that means God's from that realm. So in order to communicate with God, we have to somehow communicate with that realm. Not only that, we discovered verse 3 is telling us that God made this realm out of that realm. Because this realm the material realm, was formed out of things that you can't detect with your senses. And what was it formed by? The Word of God. That's why it takes faith to understand that. And then we went back and saw what verse 1 is talking about now. Verse 1 now has more sense to us because what verse 1 of chapter 11 says, what faith is, is faith is the substance or gives tangibility the things that are hoped for. And we already looked and saw that you're hoping for something that you don't have in your, in your grasp, in your senses. And faith is the evidence of things that are not seen, that you cannot detect with your senses. 
And so last week we talked about the fact that in order to move around in this realm, operating on things that are in that realm, we have to have some confidence that that realm exists. We have to have confidence that what God has provided in that realm really exists for us. Because we ended up by talking about the fact we need to have confidence in order to step out. Faith is not blind. There's, there's no such thing as blind faith. You have to have faith in something. Faith by itself, it's like trying to stand in a vacuum or stand on air. You can't, there's nothing to stand up on. Faith is the act of standing on something. So one of the things we're going to learn is what is it our faith is standing on? So in order to step out and stand on something, you have to have confidence that it's there and it will hold you. Tonight you came in here and every one of you tonight has exercised faith. Because you put your 120, 140, whatever, pounds on a blue chair without jumping up and down on it and making sure it was there and could hold you. You just turned around, took your blessed assurance and rested it on that blue chair without thinking very much about it at all while you had confidence that that chair was there and it would hold you. And you needed that confidence. Suppose you came in and before you sat down, three people went down your aisle and everyone that sat down, the chair broke and fell out from underneath them. What are you going to do? You're not going to just plop yourself in your chair either. You're going to want to test it and make sure this one's okay. Why? Because you now have some evidence to suggest to you that not every blue chair in this room is safe. But the reason you have confidence to set yourself in that chair without testing is you've never seen anybody fall through a chair here. You've never fallen through a chair here. So you have some substance to give you confidence to sit in that chair. We need something of substance to trust in. The problem is, when you're dealing with that realm, you can't touch it. So we ended up by saying, that's what faith is. Faith is a confidence that you have that what's there is real and you have access to it. It's a confidence that you can grow to the place where you have greater confidence that that's real, that you can't see, than the chair you're sitting in that you can see. Because the things of this realm can be unreliable. Because they're passing away. But that realm is totally reliable because it's based on God's word. And God cannot lie. He cannot change. And that realm is based on His Word. So that realm is more real. The things that you cannot see are actually more reliable than the things you can see. But we spent most of our life walking by sight and not by faith. And that's where we left off last time. Now let's go on because I want to show you, begin to apply this into our lives. Verse 4. By faith, so we're going to, I don't know if we're going to go through all this, but all of this chapter, verse, verse, almost every verse begins, by faith they did something. Notice they did something. By faith Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he, Abel, obtained a witness that he was righteous, God testifying by his gifts that though he being dead still speaks. 
by faith Enoch, when he was taken away so that he did not see death, was not found because he was taken by God. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. In, in Genesis 5, 21 and 22, it says that, or 20 and 21, it says that Enoch walked with God and then he wasn't. For God took him home. He's just walking with God one day praying and God says, this isn't good enough for me. You just come up with me. So he never went through a physical death. He just was, not, was here one moment and wasn't here the next moment. Why? Because God was that pleased with him. God was that pleased with him. Now look at what the writer here is using that to show. By faith, Enoch was taken away, so he did not see death. So Enoch must have walked in faith. Because one of the things we're going to learn is faith establishes your right standing before God. Your right standing before God is not based on whether you've been good or bad. It's based on your faith in Christ. Because God takes your faith in Christ and then considers that as if you lived your life the way he did. And we'll look at that more in more detail later. So Enoch walked with God in such a way that it was faith, that was a level of faith that God considered him righteous enough and just took him home. And here's the verse I want to get to. Because it says, and he was taken because he had this testimony that he pleased God. Now we're going to see what Enoch did that pleased God. Verse 6. But without faith, Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. Now, let me tell you in the Greek what the word impossible means. It means not possible. Actually, it is the strongest possible negative you can have. That means no possible way it can ever happen. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. You need to let that settle in. If there's no other reason why this subject is vital, it's for that part of that verse. Without faith, there is no possible way you can please God. One of the applications of that you see is in Romans chapter 8, actually 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, but especially in 8, because it says if when we walk, when we, when we walk by the flesh, which means trusting in our own efforts, then not only can't you, don't you please God, you're not able to please God. Your own efforts don't please God. Your good tries at being good, they don't please God. I'm not saying God's disappointed with them. God's proud of you. But it doesn't bring... What, what pleases God is when we trust in Him. What pleases God is when we put our faith in Him and not ourselves. So without faith, it's impossible to please God. And now He's going to explain why. Because faith itself isn't what brings the pleasure to God. It's faith. It takes faith to do the thing that brings God pleasure. Because what faith, he says, but without faith it's impossible to please God. 
For in order to come to God, see, what pleases God is when you come to Him. What pleases God is when you come to Him, but you won't come to Him without faith. And He'll tell you why, because there's two things that you must do. Without faith, it's impossible to please Him. For in order to come to God, that's the part that pleases Him, you must believe two things. First of all, you must believe that He is. How many of you believe that He is? Well, do we? Do we? He doesn't say what you must believe that he's there somewhere. That there must be a God somewhere. It's talking about a real personal God. It's talking about Jehovah, the covenant-making God, who's there. Not just there, he's there for you. Because the real proof of what we believe we're going to see down the road is what we do, not what we say in church. The real proof of what we believe is what we do. The reason I know you believe that chair would hold you is because you acted on what you believed. So in order to come to God, you must believe two things. You must believe that He exists. That there really is a God who is real. In fact, that He's more real than you are. Because that's the other side of it. We can believe there's a God that exists, but he could be kind of, you know, like Casper. Remember Casper, the friendly ghost? Well, the spirit world. You understand that the devils work very hard to make the world laugh at the spirit world. Either laugh at it or be scared of it. So our idea of the spirits is that these, 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 these flimsy robes that kind of float around. You know, and we see now with all this computer-generated stuff in movies, you know, you see these faces coming out of nowhere, and it's just you can see through them, and it's all this kind of, you know, flimsy, ethereal stuff. It just gives you the impression it's not really real. But what this verse means is you must believe that God is real. I mean, really real. Reach over and touch the person next to you, if you can. If you can't, that's fine. Or in front of you. Just Now you know that person's there, don't you? Sometimes I'll wake up in the night, you know, and, and I'll roll over, and I'm not sure whether Anita's in bed or not or whether she got up, so I'll just reach over, and if I reach over and touch her, it's like, oh, okay, she's, she's, in, she's in bed. She's okay. You know, I know she's really there. But you see, you can't. You, you, can't, you can reach up and touch somebody, but you can't reach up and touch God. You, there's nowhere you can reach and touch to verify that he's real. So it's not just that you believe in God. Because you'll only come to him to the extent that you believe he's really there. It's not just that you believe that he exists. And we're talking about coming to him. In order to come to him, you must believe he's really going to be there where you come to. That you're not fooling yourself. When I was under conviction, the Lord was, 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 was really pursuing me, and, and I was doing my best to just run away. But it wasn't because I was rebellious. It was because I was, and I didn't realize at this time, I was afraid that it wasn't real. 
that he wasn't real, that I was making him up. Because, see, my idea, this is back when I was a lawyer. I obviously wasn't saved. My, my impression of Christians was that it was women and weak men. But I was a lawyer. Lawyers were independent people. They were self-made people. They, you know, they, put, you know, they controlled their own life. <laughs> Most of the ones I knew, their lives ended up shipwrecked. Couldn't keep married to the same person. That's not true of all of them, but many of them. It was true. Their lives were a disaster. Very high rate of alcoholism among them. They may have been making all kinds of money, but tremendous pressure. Took a tremendous toll on many of them. And I was afraid to find out. And I, I didn't realize this until God had to show me. I was afraid to find out that he wasn't real. And until I discovered the Lord, the way he got through to me, he says, you're better off finding out I'm not real than living under this agony that you're going under now which I was halfway in between. But you see, I was, I was hoping that God would do some physical thing to prove to me he was real. When I was a kid, I couldn't understand why Jesus didn't come off the cross and prove to them who he was. Later I realized, you know, after he was raised from the dead, he appeared over 500 people. And only 120 of them showed up on the day of Pentecost. So seeing a man raised from the dead... Jesus even said that. Do you see a man raised from the dead and you still don't believe? He's talking about in the story of Lazarus. Lazarus. So here's the problem. You've got to, how do we believe he's real? I don't just mean believe in a God, but believe he is really there. So I'm in here talking this afternoon and I'm not just talking to myself. Ever have that thought go through your mind? Am I, is, it, is he here or is it just me? Is it just me talking to myself or is it really God? Because you see, when you know there's someone on the other side of the conversation, it changes the way you talk. When you know there's somebody there responding to you and listening to you and you have their attention, is that right, wives? <laughs> yes, dear. Yes, dear. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sure, I heard that. Yeah, 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 yeah. That doesn't do anything for you, do you? Because you're not, he's not listening. He's in the same room with you, saying words, but he's not there, even though he's physically there. So you must believe, in order to come to him, you must believe that he's real. And he's really there. He's really present to you. Now here's the problem with that. You can't see that he's there. I'd go into service and people say, oh, we can feel the presence of the Lord there. I didn't feel anything. And sometimes I'm not so sure they felt him as much as it was the emotion of the, of the moment. It's interesting. God did not design this so that we were to verify his presence by how we felt. There are feelings that can be attached to it, but the Bible doesn't say very much about them at all, if at all. It simply says what he'll do and then requires us to walk by faith that he's doing what he said he'd do. So the first thing we must believe if we're to come to him, and that's what pleases him, is that he's really there. There really is a God and he really is there. Now in our day and age, that's being challenged. If you're not aware of what's going on in society out there, we need to wake up. It's being challenged. There are atheist churches out there I was just looking at, at, at podcasts the other day because we're going to do some podcasts here. 
And we'll talk more about that later on. We're going to do audio podcasts and then video podcasts. So you can subscribe and just download messages to your computer and your MP3 player and things like that. Um, and, and then video ones, so those of you have video ones. We're getting there. We're, but, but I saw I was looking into some of those and looking up some of the Christian. So they have a section on there called religion and maybe in philosophy too, but religion. Under there, there's an atheist church. I still don't understand how you form a belief system around believing in nothing. Well, the universals have done that for years. But, I mean, how do you, how, how do you get to an agree? Because it's very hard to prove a negative that something doesn't exist. Don't ever get defensive about trying to prove God. It's harder to prove he doesn't exist than he does exist. How do you prove something? You've got to cover all the bases. It's like people trying to prove, well, there's no such thing as healing. Well, I've got a problem with that. I've been healed. I've got friends that were, had incurable cancer, 90 days to live, sewed them back up and said, go home, get your affairs in order. Mass General Hospital, that was 20 years ago, still alive and kicking. It's too late to tell me that it doesn't, it's, there's no healing. Because what do you do with that? How do you know God's real? There's a world out there trying to tell you there is no God trying to tell our children there is no God. Of course, the reason reason behind that is they're not trying to find the truth. What they're trying to do is get rid of God because if there's no God, there's no one I'm going to have to be accountable for. Therefore, I can do what I want to do and not feel guilty about it. Several hundred years ago, there was a man named Nietzsche and he came to the conclusion that, that God doesn't exist. There used to be a bumper sticker. Nietzsche, quote, God doesn't exist. God, quote, Nietzsche doesn't exist. (laughs) Guess who's still around? (laughs) Don't ever try to out-argue God. (laughs) He can hold his breath longer than you can. Without faith, it's impossible to please him because in order to come to him, you must believe that he is. Now, how then are we going to believe that he is when we can't see him, especially because he's in another spirit, another realm that you automatically can't detect with your senses? That's what faith is for. Faith is what gives you tangibility in this realm for something that exists in that realm so that you can walk in this realm with just as much certainty and confidence in this realm about what's in that realm as if you actually had it in your hands. You can come to the place where God is more real to you than if literally He were holding your hand. Because He is more real. Because He now lives inside of you. See, God is smart. He understands that this problem exists. So God's way around it is instead of appearing to you and just satisfying your natural desires to touch. See, that's what, that's what flesh does. That's what the children of Israel did. When, when Moses, God called their leader up on the mountain and he's up there 40 days, the Bible tells us they became uneasy because they couldn't see their leader. They couldn't see him with their... They needed to have sense contact with their leader or they became unhinged, uneasy. 
So when they, their leader was up there long enough and they began to wonder what had happened to him, they had to now have something they could see to worship. So they went to Aaron, who Moses had left in charge, and they said, build us a God we can see. So that's what Aaron did. They took all the jewelry and the gold that, that had been given to them by the Egyptians at God's command for the purpose of building the tabernacle in the wilderness that God was actually going to reside in. They took all that gold and all those jewels and they melted them down and they formed a golden calf. Something they could touch. Something they could see. Something their senses could now detect. But what they did, if you read it carefully, they called that calf Elohim. They called that calf the God that brought them out of Egypt. Here's what they did. They took a God they believed in and reduced him to something they could see so they could relate to him with their senses. I was sitting listening to somebody explain that one night in here and all of a sudden it hit me. Oh my Lord, I'm tempted to do the same thing. I don't go around in my house and build a little thing I can touch. But we tend to make up images of what God's like in here. We tend to make God into what we want Him to be with our mind. Oh, I would never do that. Oh, what really? What about when God's word says one thing about what he does and you say, no, I really think he ought to do this? Well, God, God, would, God would overlook that. I know God's word says that a, relation, a relationship with a woman outside of marriage is sin. I know God, but our society, but you've got to understand the times in which we live in. Isn't that saying, I know that's what God, the word of God says he's like, but I think he's really like this. That's what the world's doing today. They're making up what God's like. I can understand that. They don't have His Word and don't believe in His Word. But the church is doing the same thing. We're taking His Word and what His Word says about Him, what His Word says He requires. His Word says the tithe is holy. Oh yeah, but I don't believe in that. All right, I've just remade God in my mind and there's no difference between that and building a golden calf in your backyard and worshiping that. You're making up your own God and then worshiping that God. Why? Because you don't believe He is. You don't believe He is. I'm not saying you don't believe there's a God. You don't believe He's that real. Every example I find in the Bible of somebody that had a vision of God had the same reaction. Boom, they hit the ground. It says they fell as dead men. Didn't move. They saw his holiness, his awesomeness, his power. And he had to tell them to get up. Nobody made him. Just in the presence or the vision of an angel. And the glory and majesty of the reality of that angel. Boom, they hit the ground. Daniel said, I'm like a dead man. Isaiah said, I'm like a dead man. Ezekiel, God had to keep picking him up. It wasn't because there were, you know, there were, oh, I felt the power and there were ushers behind him. I mean, boom, they were down on the ground. 
Because God's real. The real God. I was praying through here today and I was praying for God to manifest himself here. And I don't mean by that necessarily, you know, something hanging up here. I mean becoming real to us in here. Where you can carry him home with you. And remembering the story, and I think it's in Genesis and Exodus 19, where God told the children, Moses, when he came down off the mountain, to, to have the people consecrate themselves for three days, and then to gather them around the base of the mountain. And Moses says, Yeah, I'm going to have them come and meet their God. I've been praying for that for you. To meet your God. Well, we know he's, yeah, but to meet him at a level you've never met him before. Where he's so real to you, it doesn't matter what the government says. He's so real to you, it doesn't matter what your neighbor says, your mother says. It doesn't matter what anybody says. You know he's... See, the people in the New Testament knew him that way. In Acts, I think it's four. I think it was in four. Where they arrested Peter and John. Because a man's been raised up who's never been able to walk. And they haul him in, haul them in. And they said, you know, by what authority are you doing this? And they said, it's by the name of Jesus. And so we said, well, you know, we're going to beat you a little bit just for token's sake, and then we're going to release you. And the only thing we require of you is that you don't speak anymore in his name. And Peter's answer is so wonderful. He says, whether it's right in the sight of God or not to listen to you, I'll let you decide. All I know is we cannot help but declare what we've heard and seen. He's so real to us. He's so real to us that we can't deny him. What would you do? I ask myself this question, and I've got to be honest, I don't know the answer. What would I do if suddenly tomorrow I woke up and the newspaper said it's illegal to be a Christian? And if you mention the name of Jesus, you will be arrested and summarily executed. Don't laugh. That's happened in countries today, but it's happened in countries that one day were Christian, and the next day, China happened that way. A woman named Norma Lamb. She was the daughter of a, of, a, of, a, of a Christian family. Her father was a ruler in China. And one day, the, the next day, the communists take over, and she's lined up with a bunch of her household members. So we understand that you believe in Christ. Is that right? And they put a gun to their head. Deny Jesus. What are you going to do? You don't have time to go to a prayer meeting. You don't have time to call, you know, the 700 Club or ORU or wherever. Because they're lined up too. What are we going to do? That's the point where he better be real to us. More real than the bullets in that gun. More real than the life we try to hold on to. And that's what faith is for. Faith gives us confidence that that realm is infinitely more real, real than the realm we're dealing with. Next time we'll pick up with the second thing you have to believe. The first thing is that he exists, not just exists, that he's real. That he's really real, more real than you, your body is. And then the second thing is, we'll talk about next time.